Hello, and welcome back down to Hove. Yes, Claire's looking at me again like that. I'm not nicking this podcast, Claire, honestly. It is Welcome to Talking Flutes, which is Claire's. Yeah, Claire, I've just had a lovely, lovely coffee. Lovely coffee, and the dogs are calm because they've had their walk, they've drunk their water, they're fast asleep, so it's perfect. Yeah, this this is part twos, isn't it? So I haven't sort of gone away and come back. Nope. Part two. I sat in front of the microphone drinking my coffee and I thought, I've got to get my voice in because you spoke too much last time. I'm sorry. (laughs) What's on the agenda of your Talking Flutes podcast this week? Well, someone wrote in a a question, uh, what to do and how to move forward with flute practice in the summer vacation months. Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Are you the right person to ask? Because you used to practice all the time, every day, whether rain, sunshine, holidays... When I was a serious student, I mean, we could say that the question might be aimed more at the serious student. When I was a serious student, I didn't have time off. In fact, if I had a day without playing, I felt guilty that I hadn't played, which is bad psychology. Yeah. And I tell people now that work hard and timetable what you're doing so that you can give yourself time off and you don't feel guilty because you've worked for that time off. Whereas I used to practice and then feel guilty if I took time off I hadn't planned it mm-hmm. you need to you need to plan it so in with different eyes now as yeah. a international flute soloist recording artist author and flute professor what is your advice now regarding practicing certainly during the summer months anyway well if we're looking at college students then for the moment mm-hmm. or maybe school age students who are wanting to do the flute more seriously in terms of going to a music college. Sure. So they've got maybe auditions coming up in a year or two years. It's important, if you've been working hard during the year, then it's certainly important to have a break. But it's how long that break would be. But by having a break, you have a chance to start again feeling refreshed. And, you know, it's, it's the same with anything, any activity you have. If you go at it all the time, you need a break because it becomes more of a chore and you do it by habit rather than thinking about what you're doing. So by giving yourself a break, you can come back feeling refreshed and you come back more energised. So you need to go away and do something that helps you, something different to help you energise your mind and body. Now, I know somebody's going to say, what is a break? Now, you're talking about a week's vacation, two weeks' vacation. Yeah, I mean, okay. so if we go back to... To me, when I was at, at college, I would have something up to about a week, maybe. Um, <laughs> and then when I got into work, I didn't really have a break at all because you teach to the end of teach and play till the end of term, and then the playing would keep going through the summer months, and then you'd have summer schools, and then you'd be preparing for the the new term or the new season of recitals with different programs. And I found after I had a few years where I didn't have any time off and I felt completely sort of, well, without energy. I couldn't get enthusiastic about new terms in September because I felt so exhausted. So I remember I gave myself a week off in August. And I remember that first year I gave myself a week off, a full week off. I felt so good coming back to it. And then the next year I took two weeks off. And after a few years, I took the whole of August off. I didn't say I didn't play all that time, but I didn't work. Ah, there's a difference there, isn't it? There's a difference there. So I was... You could play for fun, great. 
but I didn't work in August. Not, you know, it didn't always work out like that, but I felt that that was my, my time off. And when I came back in September, I was raring to go. I had loads of energy. I had loads of ideas. And could sort of take off, and it would last me for the year. There's lots of food players believe that their chops go, that they, they lose flexibility really, really quickly. And... Yeah, well, it does, it does go off, but it doesn't disappear. I mean, you have to try it, obviously, first. But if you're in practice before you take a break, then you're not going to lose it that quickly or lose that much. If you're not in practice and you take a break, then of course you're going to find it difficult when you come back. And I think you've actually got to be, be realistic and truthful to what, to what it is you're doing before you take that time off. So how do you convince yourself that taking that week off is going to be good for you? Because you have to want to do it and then have that excitement to return again. Okay, so if you're being a music student, you're stuck in a room for many, many hours on your own. And it's really important to get out of that environment and go and experience something different. And if you want to be, in terms of your emotions, your means of communication, in terms of expression, how you interpret, it, the more of life's experiences you've had, the better you're going to be with that. And your mental health and your mental attitude is hugely important. So if you plan it so you know you've worked really hard you deserve a break you plan it you plan your break you go and do something completely different that will energize you so it might be you go on an activity holiday or you might go and sit on a beach for a week or you might do a cultural trip to a city go and look at you know whether it be artworks churches just city centers historic historic town centers you know it doesn't matter what it is or you might go and do a different Practical activity, you know, go and go cycling for a week, uh, learn how to paint. You know, it's all these things are, take you out of your, the norm and allow you to experience something different and get excited about it. Could you, now, now you're talking about that, could you imagine your gas tank, your petrol tank being... At the end of term or coming towards the summer, being running quite low and empty that you need to recharge it and you put some more gas in. And that if you're going to give yourself a week away, that each day you're actually filling that up with energy, with gas, with petrol. So at the end of that week away, when you actually come back, you're fully charged? Absolutely. I think visual imagery like that is really important. We've talked before about being kind to yourself. Yes, absolutely. You know, and... You know, sometimes we're so wrapped up in our own very small musical world that we forget to sort of look outside that bubble and look at what else is going on around you. And that can only add to your life's experience and then help you with your music making. I like that, being kind to yourself, because when you're studying, it's hard to be kind to yourself, because we're all, we're all, well, everybody out there is hypercritical of... Yep, and, and we're mostly critical of ourselves, yes. absolutely. And, you know, you can batter yourself quite easily, saying it's not good enough, I'm not playing well enough, I've not succeeded enough. And, you know, you, you just sort of get into a state where it's very difficult to, to, to move from that, the place you are. So go away, you take a break, you do something completely different, and then you've got more energy, more vigour to 
come back into your flute playing. I, mean, I know you're passionate about mental health, certainly mental health for musicians, and we're going to cover that in increasing number of podcasts coming yes. up. But in, in essence, in taking a, a break, whether it be one week or two weeks, that is fundamental for your mental health as a musician. If you can't really get to grips with not blowing, as you touched on earlier, if you just pick it up, play it, just play for fun, don't study, but yeah. play for fun, put it away, then you can then rectify this sort of insecurity with not playing, couldn't you? Absolutely. And if you take that just one step further, if you are about to go to college or... Well, if you're about to go to college and you've just had sort of the the last exams at school and you have that huge relief that all the exams are over and you know you've got a place in a conservatoire, that's the time to be a little bit careful, to have your break and relax, do something different, but then plan the few weeks before you arrive at college to make sure you're up to speed. So that you really hit the ground running. Match fit. <laughs> yeah, your match fit is really important. Because if you, if you arrive at college and you think, well, I haven't practiced for sort of like three months, uh, but that's what I'm here for, it doesn't work like that. Because you will be at the bottom of the pile. So you need to make sure that you build up carefully, making sure you gradually get back into being flute fit. Yeah. So it is, it's a case of being happy with your own decision, isn't it? Yes. And being... So you, mental health is such a huge thing nowadays. And I've, I know people that refuse not to practice. And it, it drives them mad sometimes. You know, you can speak to them, how's your practice? Oh, I've had a bad day today. Well, if they'd had a day off, as you say, if they can visualise the petrol tank, mm. the gas tank uh, filling up, mm. we just have to change our mindset, really, don't we? We do. I mean... For some people, though, it does work in the beginning. Like, for me, it worked to play every day, to practice every day, mm-hmm. and to keep it going through the holidays, and to feel that I was sort of... I could go and do a recital at sort of like a, a moment's notice. Mm-hmm. But then it starts to catch up with you. Yes. And you find that you are flagging, and things aren't going as well. And so, you know, everybody's different, but you, you have to judge yourself... You, you're the person who knows yourself the best and you have to actually maybe have to sit down and have a think about how things are going and whether you need a break from it all. Give yourself permission to Give do yourself that. permission to take time off. So It's okay. It's okay to go on holiday. It's okay to put that little tube in its case, put it to bed and know that you're going to come back to it fully yes. recharged. Yes, because one problem a lot of people have is that they might book a holiday, but they think, but I, I still need to practice. I'm going to take my flute with me. And then you have this constant reminder that makes you feel really bad every day of that holiday because you haven't taken that flute out. So actually, it's good not to have your flute with you. Yeah, have you tried playing the flute? I'm sure you have when you've had a bit too much sun. It's not, not great, is it? The old, the old lips are a bit funny. So it, you yeah. could, in essence, go backwards. But also you're in, a, you're in, you know, are you in holiday mode or are you in work mode? You know, it's, it's really very difficult. That's interesting. Isn't it? Are you in holiday mode? Are you in work mode? Are you in practice mode? Uh, yes, I understand that. Yeah, you've got to, you've got to flick, flitch, flick into a different mode, Good haven't you? new word. Flitch. Flitch. <laughs> yeah, you just got to flick into that mode. So going back to the original question, it's okay to take time off. It's okay to take time off and have a think about how you get back into it. Great. Can I move on to a question that 
has just come in an email and interestingly and i know this is completely non-related your new publication called flute reboot and the only reason i want to bring that in is a question came in about uh, interpretation of rock music and something i hadn't heard before but it's actually in your book it's called mesa de voce now i've never heard of that Mind you, I'm actually rubbish at baroque flute playing, but uh, <laughs> can, well, can you sort of talk about what is Messa de Voce first? I mean, we'll talk about your book in a sec, but... Uh. Let me give you a, a quote of Quantz, who said, If you must hold a long note, which the Italians call Messa di Voce, you must first tip it gently with the tongue, scarcely exhaling, Then you begin pianissimo, allow the strength of the tone to swell to the middle of the note and from there to diminish it to the end of the note in the same fashion. Crescendo and diminuendo. It's a crescendo and a diminuendo. It's a technique of playing one pitch with a crescendo Uh. and a diminuendo, one pitch. But this is a technique that we use in our flute playing all the time. Mm. You know, it's not just in Baroque music, but it was a technique used in Baroque music. But it requires so much practice because you have to control the pitch. And it, I, I remember, I was never taught this, so I never heard about it. I've read about it from Quant's book the, on playing the flute. Yes. And so, and I thought, well, actually, when I, I was practicing, um, practiced Della Sonorite, Moise's tone book, for hours and hours and hours, which is all to do with crescendo and the minuendo and controlling the pitch. But it's when you do the two together on one note. And it's that's so hard. Messa de voce. I'd never heard it called that before. Yeah. So I, I know you're embarrassed about not embarrassed, but you don't this you, you don't think that this is the medium a podcast to talk about flute reboot. But if we talk about Quantz in his book on playing the flute, there is a passage that you've written. To play an adagio well, you must enter as much as possible into a calm and almost melancholy mood so that you execute what you have to play in the same state of mind as that in which the composer wrote it. Yeah, so most people don't know what adagio means. <laughs> it means at ease. Yes. Not necessarily slow, but at ease, calm. What would be interesting is if you ask people what adagio meant. Well, I and they'd say, often. And they say slow. Slow. <laughs> you know, this is... I ask because when I was learning, I often guessed at the meaning and would get it completely wrong and was found out on many an occasion and so I realised I need to actually look everything up and make sure I actually know what I'm talking about Yeah, and I know you've covered a podcast about interpretation and not playing the notes but actually trying to understand the story that the composer had in his mind when he wrote it and if there's no notes on that almost create the story Yeah so your book, Claire, Flute Reboot, is yeah. fantastic. But it's aimed at a really, really vast amount of ex-flute players, isn't it? Yeah. It's, and that word ex is important here. Yeah, so it's, it, it started as an online tutorial. Yep. And it was to help players returning after a break. So maybe they played at school and then stopped because of education, further education, having a family. But it's also developed now to give new ideas to established players of all levels. Yeah. Uh, bar beginners. Yes. All right. So I've, I've used 
all the exercises that and ideas that I've used myself over the years when I've been learning, playing and teaching. And I've just tried to explain as clearly and as simply as possible how to improve and develop many techniques. So some of the areas I've covered, from posture, embouchure and breathing, uh, to sound flexibility, speed and control of the fingers, the variety in your practice, articulation, vibrato, dynamics, pitch control, baroque interpretation, which you've just mm-hmm. talked about, and, and how to practice a piece. So it's, it's a whole mixture, and there's as many musical examples as there are exercises. Yeah, you've got flashcards in each chapter. got flashcards. I've got a thought for the week at the end of every yep. lesson. Um, and so it's a, it's, it's a whole mix. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the book of my practice. Yeah, and what made you write it? Because, again, it's very different to all the other tutorials that are out there. Yeah, I think it was a case of... Uh, many, many years ago, I wrote Flute Aerobics. Oh, that was a great book. Was, I had And that. then Light Aerobics, which yeah. was a, a warm-up book which covered tone technique and articulation. And this is like a more grown-up version. So I wanted to sort of put down the ideas I had about how to tackle various techniques... But I wanted to do it through music, not just exercises. And I wanted to bring in, again, sort of different abilities. But, you know, there's as much in here for the professional flute player as there is for the... Yeah, and that's, what, that's what's really surprised me. It's, the aim is to reboot your confidence in your flute playing. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be... A big a returner. It can no. be for those that are currently. It doesn't playing. discriminate. It's no. Going back to sort of like we talked at the last podcast about summer schools, about not discriminating. I don't want to discriminate. This is a book, a workbook. It's what it is. It's called a workbook for flute, where you can you can pick and choose. So if you want to, if you're studying a baroque piece, have a look at the chapter on baroque interpretation to give you some some basic ideas, and and help. And that's. Hopefully, what it, what it will do. So I'm flicking through this book, and um, do you know there's something that just grabbed straight onto me, Claire. I thank you for signing my copy, by the way. You're very welcome. Emotional breathing, Claire. Yeah. What is that? Well, mostly, we we just take a breath and blow. Yeah. And um, but you've also got to think about what it is you're playing after that breath. So, and you have to think about your emotions. So, you have to think about how you would breathe in everyday life. If you were, I say, if you're excited or nervous or tired or frightened. And then think about that in relation to your peace. If the peace is very, very calm, then your breath should reflect that calmness. So, when you're nervous, breathing tends to be faster. So you have to concentrate and you have to think in your practice about breathing in a more controlled, slower manner to help reflect the emotion of the piece that's coming. Ah, now that, this is really interesting because unless you know the narrative of the piece, you then can't emotionally transcribe that to the audience, can you? No. So if you take, I use an example, Poulenc's Sonata, the third movement, yep. which is fiery and fast, presto. Yep. Right, so it's nervous energy. So your breath would be to create that that feeling, that excitement. It wouldn't you wouldn't go because it's very difficult to 
inject the energy of the piece unless the breath has helped determine that emotion that's coming after it. So as a performer, when you finish that mid beautiful middle movement, how do you just suddenly flick the switch in your head and think of something that is really intense and really... Yeah, so you can use visual imagery, you can use colours, you can, you can just have a, a word that's on top of, the, top of the music, something that helps you inject that incredible change of pace, change of mood. But it's also, also important not just you know, for something sort of that obvious, but for when you're in a, a more stressful environment like an audition or a concert or an exam, and you need to have thought about the mood of that piece that you're playing in your practice so that you practice your breathing before you get there. Otherwise, your breathing takes over and determines the emotion. The breathing takes over and determines the emotion. You don't want that. You want the no. emotion to determine. Yes, determine, to, to determine the breath before yep. you do it, not after you do it. And then, so the use of emotional breathing then will predetermine, in essence, the performance. Yes. Because if you're feeling sad because the piece is a sad piece and then you're breathing accordingly then that is going to come out. It's going to come out, yes. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter. But I used to colour code phrases, you know, just with a, um, a highlighter. Sure. So just so that I would have, if something was softer, gentler, which might need that sort of colour, mm-hmm. it would sort of be pale, yellows. Oh, that's like interesting, yeah. And then if I wanted something a bit, bit more intense, darker... It, it would be red highlight, red highlighters. I said, I'd have a purple. <laughs> yeah. If it was fiery and hard, it'd be red. Yeah. Or or dark purple, but something darker, more intense. Interesting so, that we all see different colours, isn't it? Yeah. So that would that would help me. I remember I was talking to to a student many years ago about creating an image for for a piece. Uh, I can't remember the piece now, but when they came back the next week, they had little pictures they'd cut out of a magazine at the beginning of each movement, which was a scene that reflected what they, how they felt that movement would be. Wow, so emotionally getting into the situation before that movement started. Yeah. So, and it was lovely, because they'd really thought about it and, and found the appropriate p- picture, and it really helped them, because for them, the visual, that visual imagery was the thing that they responded to more than highlighting. So hence the break, say if you're doing a concerto with an orchestra or with a piano, the natural break between each movement should be a reset, emotional reset, shouldn't it? Yes, yes. And sometimes you need quite a bit of space to let the energy of the room calm down. Yeah, you often see that, don't you, in um, performances. When you go to see a a recital, and perhaps they're doing a concerto, it's quite a long break. It can be, yes. But if you've ended something with such energy, the, the, everything in that room or that hall is, is vibrating with that energy. And the audience are full of excitement with that energy. And then if you've got a, a very slow, calm adagio, after that you have to almost let the molecules in the room calm down and relax and still. So controlling the silence as well. Well, I'm looking at lesson three. Building technique, sound and flexibility, tone. And there's a huge list here, isn't there? Posture, embouchure, breathing, blowing, flute setup, three balance points, bending notes, harmonics, whistle tones, ghost harmonics, 
tone colours, dynamics, pitch control, intonation, tuning, vibrato, throat tuning. God, flute players are clever, aren't they? Yeah, but, but there are so many elements there in are, producing yeah. a good tone. And there aren't so many elements in finger technique and articulation. That's just one. And if you get your tone sorted out, the other two tend to get themselves sorted out afterwards. What's your view on where the flute should actually sit? Just should be below the level of your mouth. Right. Just think of it. Not above the level of your mouth. No. Somewhere below the level of your mouth. And the angle of the flute is where it's comfortable or Yeah. Yeah. So that your your elbows can 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 drop in a relaxed way. And the flute is out at an angle from your body yeah. so that you can breathe properly. And, you know, if you need to, take advice. Take advice from a teacher. And also the other thing that I wanted to mention, at the end of each lesson in Flute Reboot, I give sort of, try and give a positive thought for the week. So something that's sort of motivational. So, for example, technique helps you become independent and so more in control of your flute playing. So a reason for practicing technique is that. So it's, it's, you know, music is good for the brain. Music is good for your mental health. So there's, there's various thoughts after each... There is a thought for each lesson to help you, give you a sort of a positive feel. Do you know, that's a really positive way to end. Mm. So Flute Reboot, thank you for signing it. It's been... Oh, you've put such a nice let, um, message in it as well. So grateful for your help and support. Oh. Yeah, couldn't be done without you, John. Paul. Oh, do you know? Very few things can. <laughs> <laughs> Ever the modest guy. Claire, thank you for inviting me down again. It's been a pleasure. And uh, actually, I haven't moved, have I, since the last podcast? We've just had a no, break. Just had a break and a coffee. I think next time we need to have a chat about something that we're both very passionate about, which is, say, mental well being, but more importantly, mindfulness. For musicians. Yes. So should we have a chat on our next... You're going to say it's a Talking Flutes podcast it's as well. It's a Talking Flutes podcast. Can't I pinch any of these? No. It's definitely Talking Flutes. <laughs> Claire, thank you for inviting me down. You're welcome. Nice to see you, John. And uh, wishing everybody a great week ahead. Cheerio. Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.